Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are excited to talk about climate disaster fiction with Sarah Blake and Allison Stein. Sarah Blake is the author of Clean Air, a cli-fi domestic thriller, Nama, a novel reimagining the story of Noah's Ark, and poetry collections Mr. West and Let's Not Live on Earth. In 2013, she received a literature fellowship from the NEA. Her work has appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, the American Poetry Review, and the Kenyan Review. She lives outside of London. Allison Stein is the author of the 2021 novel Trashlands, which the LA Times called a ballad to love in a time of darkness, currently longlisted for the 2022 Reading the West Book Award. Her first novel, Road Out of Winter, was a selection for the Rumpus Book Club and won the 2021 Philip K. Dick Award. She is also the author of three poetry collections published on university presses and a novella. I'm so excited to have you all here today. I'm so glad both of you could come and talk about climate disaster fiction. And just to tell our listeners, we've had a little bit of technology issues today, but we're hoping that we get through and that everybody is coming through clear and not delayed. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. I have read both of your books and I'm really excited to talk to both of you. So the first question I want to ask is, where do you get all these ideas and where does this climate disaster fiction come from within you? Uh, I'm Allison, by the way. Um, I, uh, you know, I get a lot of ideas. I'm the kind of writer that I probably get too many ideas. You know, it's hard sometimes to know what to focus on, you know, what's worth your time. But I feel like if I dream something, it's really important and I should pay attention to it. And I dreamed the story of Trashlands. Um, I, I was, um, I am a single mom and I was ha having some rare time off from my child and I'd gone somewhere remote just to write. I'd gone to this Airbnb that was in this old school bus in the middle of nowhere and I had trouble sleeping. And the first night I dreamed about this woman. She had red hair. I knew she was a young mom and it was like she just walked you know, into the bus and talked to me. Um, and I still couldn't get to sleep. But when I woke up, I started writing this story called Trashlands. Um, so I paid attention to that dream. But I, as far as the climate change stuff, I mean, it's just, it's such a part of my life. I feel like, it, of course, it would bleed over into my work. Um, I come from a long line of family farmers. I've lived most of my life in the country. You know, rural people are going to see the effects of climate change maybe different than somebody who's perhaps more disconnected from nature in a city if they are. Um, and I mean, there's, there's multiple sort of climate disasters in my book, but the big one is a flood. And I think the reason is because I lived for most of my life in an area that, that did keep having floods, you know, and the river kept swelling its banks and um, we kept getting water in the basement and losing water in the house. And, and so it was just such a part of my life that I think it's natural that it wrote its way in. That's, that's cool. I like hearing this story when I've already read the book. So it kind of comes together. How about you, Sarah? Well, for me, it was based on my asthma getting worse and worse every year. 
and I ended up needing to go and get uh, retested for all my allergies. I'd been tested when I was eight and when I first got asthma, um, but then it kind of went away. And then some, for some reason in my thirties, it was like, you're going to end up in the emergency room a bunch. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, then I started getting allergy shots and you have to go um, once a week and then you have to wait for a half an hour and make sure you don't have some horrible reaction right there in the office where they can help you before you go out to your car or whatever. And so I had uh, a, <laughs> a long history of having an overreaction to pollen in the air. And I started thinking about uh, what if other people did too? <laughs> and what if the trees got more serious <laughs> about what they could put out and what we'd have to deal with? Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where mine, mine came from. It was pretty intense. Like a lot of having to get prepared before you went outside and like really dangerous outside. That just made me think of COVID. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure too. you get that's, that a lot. <laughs> I just thought of that too. Yeah, it was really bizarre seeing that happen because I was largely inspired too by like the California fires and a lot of my friends' kids were having to go to school with masks and all these things before COVID and it was all around me and it was affecting a lot of people I knew. And um, so, yeah, then when it actually happened with COVID and we were all suddenly talking about wearing masks, I was like, of course, of course, right? Is this book's about to come out? <laughs> yeah. That's always you wonder some of these authors are putting out books so fast after like Jody Picoult wrote that book that has, you know, COVID as part of it. And then I just finished one that, oh, and Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty, too. And it's like, how do you know if the author wrote this before COVID or after? So I was wondering if you wrote it before. So that makes sense. So. One of the things I was going to ask was what made you choose the specific climate disaster? And, you know, you both explained that. So I will move on to the next question. And I'm also very interested in both of you have backgrounds as poets, which I didn't realize when I first read your novels. And I think it's interesting that they kind of have that lyrical quality to them. And I was wondering how you feel that your poetry shapes your work. I can start with this one. Uh, uh, the ends of paragraphs, uh, like I like a gut punch. I, I pay a lot of attention to little words, little phrases. If I notice that one character is saying them, then I'll go eliminate it from every other character's dialogue so that that's the way I develop their voice. So, and I get that way about my poems too. I get, I really start to spot repetitions that I have in words throughout books and I'll try to get rid of words or I'll do some weird poem that's a meta poem about all the times I use the word just in the book or something like that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's, it's if it's just an obsessive quality in me or if it's specifically about the poetry. <laughs> uh, but I, I I really enjoy like the line level, and I and I find I don't I'm not so great at some of the things that I think of um, fiction writers being really great at. Like I, I'm not great at describing a character when they walk into a room. Like. I don't, I don't ever take a, a few sentences to describe what they look like. I skip over that part. Um, and I, I don't know if that's because my, my brain's just set up for, um, 
the the next logical step in the thoughts and I, i'm just super into the interiority of my characters and i forget sometimes that they need to exist elsewhere um as for me i i mean i think like sarah said i'm really interested in language you know and i'm really interested in the music of words as well as what they mean um it has to sound good for me as well as like make sense plot wise i guess um which sometimes i think gets me into trouble because i'm more likely to go on the side of does it sound pretty as opposed to does it make sense <laughs> you know which some people don't like that in a novel i don't know it's weird um but i remember really early on a fiction writer i was gone, going to some lecture or something and he said like a difference between poetry and fiction is in in poetry you can make every word perfect and in fiction you can't make every word perfect there's too many of them and i remember thinking well i am going to try to make every word perfect you know <laughs> so i mean like sarah i think i really obsess over it and i really um i mean one of the last stages of book revision is when you have sort of line edits, which aren't the big sweeping plot changes that need to happen in your book. But, you know, the word the word issues that maybe happen with your book, um, things you need to look at on the word level. And it's not supposed to be a big deal. But for me, it was a really big deal. You know, <laughs> like I do not want to change that word. It does not mean the same thing. Um, so I get really attached to um, the emotion of words, I guess, the emotional connotation as well as just what they mean. I'm also interested in what they feel. Yeah, I wonder, do you both read your books aloud before you know, you move on to a next draft or submit. I do. I, with the last book, Trashlands was a lot longer than my first book. Okay. Um, my first book was about like one woman and my second book, Trashlands, is really about this whole community. So it's a bigger book. And so what I ended up doing was turning on um, like uh, the voice reader on my computer. So it read it to me, read the document, uh, which worked really well. It's got kind of a, you know, robotic voice. But that kind of works, too, because it's more impersonal, I guess. But I do think reading out loud is a great way to, to revise. You know, you just notice things that you might not if you're just reading with your eyes, especially if you're really close to it, I think. Yeah. How about you, Sarah? Well, I write a lot. Well, I did before COVID uh, in cafes and I edit there too. So I can't usually do that without making a fool of myself. <laughs> um, and I got into the habit. I had always used to read out loud, especially because uh, all I was writing was poetry. But once my son was little and I was doing so much writing next to like him asleep, usually I stopped reading out loud um, during that time and it never came all the way back. So like I, I just got to do a reading today and it's so fun to get to read my novel out loud and act out all the characters. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about this part. Um, so it's like one of my favorite things to do, but I do sometimes forget about it because I fell into those few years where I was like, oh, I can't wake anybody up. My kids are six and nine, but I still have to lay down with them <laughs> because they are both scared of the dark. So I was listening to a webinar while I was putting them to bed. <laughs> so like sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah, I think that's a lot about writing while you're a parent, doing what you have to do. Yeah, I definitely want to ask about parenthood because I know you both, it's both a huge influence on what you wrote and you both wrote about parents. So I'm 
I'm interested in that. And I think that's actually the next question on my list. So what I found interesting is that you both took a world that you built and then took the characters and then built on that to have, you know, that this is what's going on frame, the story itself. And to me, that's just so, I know that everybody does this, you know, but not everybody does it naturally. And I think it felt very natural in both stories. So Sarah, with yours, you had a mystery that she had to solve. And then Allison, you had, um, I don't remember her name. I'm so sorry. What was her name? Probably Coral, right? Coral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know it starts with a Z. Um, <laughs> Coral was looking for her son. And how did parenting sort of, I feel like both protagonists were a little hesitant in parenting, especially Sarah, like in the first few pages of yours. I just wonder how all these different dynamics shaped your work. It's a really long way of saying my question. Um, you know, like I said, with the climate change stuff, things in your life, things that are important to you, things that occupy you, you know, they're going to find their way into your writing. Um, so of course, parenthood was going to find its way. Um, but I was also, I mean, from the beginning, I felt this character was a mother, but I felt her child wasn't with her for some reason. And I also felt that she was very young and that she had not really become a mother by choice. And so that was really interesting to me to, for me to explore because I think there's, I mean, obviously there's so much pressure on women to be mothers, but then also to be mothers in a certain way, right? To give up everything for your child, to stop becoming a person and just be a mom, you know? Um, my son, when he was in kindergarten, he, on his own volition, stopped calling me mom and started calling me by my first name. And one of his teachers said, why are you doing that? And he said, well, because mom is just one of her jobs. It's not who she is. Um, so I think somehow I conveyed that to him through osmosis. But it was I really wanted to explore motherhood in a way that wasn't like always positive, you know, that wasn't always nurturing. That was a struggle because it's really hard, even when you're not a single mom and you're not living in poverty in a junkyard <laughs> like my character is, you know, it's always hard and it's always sort of an apocalypse. You know, motherhood comes into your life like a bomb exploding and sometimes you get help with that bomb and sometimes you're on your own dealing with the bomb which keeps exploding um i did this interview the other day and someone asked me if living in appalachian ohio had prepared me to write about an apocalypse and i said i feel more more like motherhood did you know um because you're living in the after and you're trying to pick up the pieces and make something else whole again and I think that's the larger story of the book, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he was gone for so long and that her motherhood was kind of interrupted. And I remember her being kind of a little scared of him when he was a child and also being a little scared of what would happen when he came back. Yeah. And not having help and not having resources and and also just not having community support. I mean, her father in the book is a really wonderful nurturing character, but even he doesn't know what to do and can't really give her what she needs, which is sometimes just the reassurance that things are hard. It's not in your head. You know, this is difficult. 
Um, and she doesn't really get that for a long time. Yeah, she she did have a lot going on. So what about you, Sarah? How did you develop this relationship between the two characters whose names I don't remember either? It's, it's Isabel and Cammy. Okay, so, I knew but, it was I thought it was Isabel. <laughs> yeah. When it well it came off of my in my first book it was about um a middle-aged mom who has three grown boys who are married to and so she has three daughters-in-law as well. So it's a really different stage of motherhood and not the one that I was in at home. I had a young son. <laughs> so I was really excited when that book was over to do everything I wasn't able to do in that book in this next book. I I wanted it to be I wanted there to be toilet paper and <laughs> video games and all the all the things you can't have in a retelling of Noah's Ark I wanted to have it and but one was that I didn't want a, a middle-aged woman with grown children I wanted a young mom with a young child um, just because that's such an amazing age <laughs> and uh, I loved all the things that my son was saying and I just wanted to capture and and his, that his friends were saying too I just wanted to capture all of that together <laughs> uh, and but I wanted to capture too how uh, isolating young motherhood is and strange. And um, it, I don't know, I, I had really mixed feelings towards it and not because I didn't love being a mother to my son, but because I just felt totally out of sorts all the time. And I didn't feel like my partner understood that at all, uh, even though he sometimes said he did. <laughs> Um, uh, and I just, I wanted to capture those weird feelings you have where you just, it's uncomfortable to feel like you're the only person for another person. Like that's, it's scary. <laughs> like I, like I am your person. I am going to make sure that your nails are clipped and you are fed and you see sunlight and you like all these things. And it's like, oh my God, like this relationship we're creating is like so interdependent and bizarre and it's full of love, but it's also like something that no one has ever asked of me before and will never ask of me again. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was, I really uh, it was something I loved about Allison's book too, like just a really honest discussion of uh, all the complicated feelings that come along with motherhood. Uh, and I, I want, I wanted that in my book too. Yeah, I appreciated that in both books, and I identified with it. I, it there is just this, especially on social media, this expectation that we be these perfect parents and. I you know that that never made sense to me because it's been, you know, a rough ride. There's moments where my kids are, you know, perfect angels and they're playing together nicely and all this, but usually it's it's more like screaming at each other and hitting each other with airplanes and stuff. So every stage is different, you know, there's from just being thrown into not sleeping from, you know, your child having different emotional issues depending on the age. And so I, I appreciated that take from both of you. And that was why I wanted to talk about it. So I skipped a question, I think, and this was one of the questions that was duplicated on Instagram by at 567Kate, who is one of our followers. And I was also 
curious about the types of research that you did to create this world and how much research did you need to do? How, how much did you need to do before you started writing that kind of thing? Sure. I really love researching as I go. I like to see what the story needs. Uh, I think it also is a nice way to break up a big day of writing. It's like, oh, today I also get to research like infrastructure. <laughs> Um, I did a lot of interviews for my research this time around. Um, for for my first book, it was very much like, okay, I'm going to go just look up animals facts. <laughs> it was uh, very, I could do that all by my lonesome. Um, but for this one, I, I spoke with uh, a city planner to kind of get a sense of what, what does a town need if you're going to build a town from scratch. Um, and I spoke with a child trauma therapist who uh, helped me understand what a, a child therapy session would look like. And, uh, and I went to a tarot reader to get um, uh, cards read for my character because uh, I really, I wanted to capture everything as best I could. I, I've talked, I was I've talked about this before. I'm not, I'm not actually the best in terms of my imagination. <laughs> I really like to have everything based on uh, things that I can look up. Uh, I did research a lot of things that seemed parallel to what I was creating. So I researched about how people practice to go into space or live on Mars and how they've set up communities in deserts or underwater to replicate airtight environments. Um, and also just sillier things like my, I was inspired to think about the domes because my dad likes to play field hockey in one of those big domes that you have to go through a rotating door and your ears pop when you go in and everything smells and tastes different suddenly. Um, so it's like, a you know, it's it's a combination of inspiration and, and being in those environments and also just researching to find out what what else can I add in to make it more realistic because, you know, the closer you play to realism, the scarier it gets to me. Um, and then also I have a, a lot of actual articles in the book, um, things that were getting sent to me as newsletters, encouraging me to, cause I was getting involved in local politics when I was living back at home. Um, so encouraging me to sign petitions or donate to different organizations, uh, considering uh, clean air, clean water, uh, fracking situations in Pennsylvania, uh, just a lot of things that were kind of about uh, how, why the planet might take action against us, <laughs> which is uh, kind of the fun, the fun part of my book. If you, if, if you enjoy reading it that way. <laughs> I, um, I kind of have the opposite process, which is so funny, which is that, um, I tend to just write as fast as I can and as much as I can and get it out there. And then once I have a draft, I tend to go back and do a lot of research. Um, so I have this idea, this wild idea, and I write it and then I try to make it make sense. Um, I don't know. That's just how my, my brain is backwards, I guess. Um, so I did do a lot of research for this book, but not at the beginning. I was a, sometimes I'm, I know have been stopped by a by a project because I'm intimidated by the research. I'm intimidated about getting everything right, which I think is the opposite of what I personally need for a first draft. For a first draft, I just need to get the darn thing done, you know. Um I have long years ago I had a dream 
about a book about Emily Dickinson, but the research has totally overwhelmed me and I've been unable to write this book. I don't know if I ever will be. Um, so with Trashlands, I had written this wild idea of a time in the future when, you know, floods have kind of rewritten the coast of the country. And one of the things that's left when the floods recede is, of course, plastic, you know, which we have now. But there's so much plastic in the book, they use it as money. And they build furniture with it. And they do everything with it. It's everywhere. And so I had this weird idea. And then I had to go back and research a lot about plastic. So I I learned more about plastic than I ever wanted to know. Because um, <laughs> a lot of it's really sad. A lot of it's really scary, you know? Mm. There is some plastic that will never degrade. Um, there is some plastic that's so cheap that you can't recycle it. It just falls into bits, you know? So I had to research that. I had to learn, like, what kind of plastic would float because a big part of this is the river and they get plastic out of the river and what kind would sink, um, what would be really valuable and expensive and, and what is just, you know, flimsy. Um, my editor wanted it to be as real as possible, like Sarah said. So um, I ended up reading a ton of books and going to a ton of websites. And through my research, I discovered that one thing I thought that was really outlandish in the book um, that they take recycled plastic and they kind of melt it down and they put it into bricks and they build houses with it. I discovered that's actually happening. <laughs> you know, wow. there are researchers doing that. It's just kind of expensive. So it's not something that I thought about like getting a kit and trying it at home, but it was, it was too expensive for me. I did get a um, stick and poke tattoo kit. Uh, one of the main characters is a tattoo artist and he uses this method called stick and poke. And I got this kit, which had, I'm not kidding, like fake skin in it and you can use it to practice your tattooing. So I got that and I did do that because I wanted it to be as real as possible. But I think I also kind of just wanted to do that. You know, I just wanted to, to get it and see what it was like. That would be fun. As yeah. long as you're not using real skin. Right. <laughs> it's permanent. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm really that. I love that. Those, those all sound really interesting. All those things and that you both kind of use this hands-on or like off the beaten path sort of research questions instead of just like, I'm a librarian too. So you know, we're kind of just like, go to the databases, go to the internet, look for reliable sources. Like, I love the idea of like first person research. So you have both inspired me that way. So I'm going to jump down to a couple questions, a couple more questions from our Instagram reader. And then I will jump into some of these process questions because I always like to know how writers kind of work. So let's see, two more questions from at 567Kate. How do you balance in world building, find balance in world building while making sure that doesn't upstage the stories of the characters? Um, I think that's, that's a good question. I, I know for me that novels, um, I think they first come out of characters, out of people. And or maybe kind of in tangent with this sort of extreme situation, you know, um, when it comes to trash lands, I was sleeping in a bus at the time. And so I dreamed this woman was sleeping in a bus. And then I thought, well, what kind of person would sleep in a bus all the time? And, you know, what does the bus look like? And what 
is the area around the bus look like? And that's where I kind of got the world of Trashlands, which is this junkyard um, that's next to a strip club at the end of the world. Um, and then I thought about, you know, what kind of person would live there? You know, what kind of person would have to live there? And I think those two things, one can inspire the other, but I also think they grow out of each other. You know, um, circumstances change us and they turn characters a certain way, you know, because you've always lived in poverty or because this disaster is brand new and you're reacting out of fear or because you've always been hurt by men. So, of course, you're not going to trust this new man. Um, so I think that they that they really work together really well. And sometimes it's like a chicken and egg thing. I don't know which came first, the person or the circumstance. Um, but I know that they have to work together. Yeah. Yeah, I find that I overbuild my world, but not in writing. Like in my head, I draw tons of pictures. Because uh, if I'm going to describe them walking around their house, I don't want to mess up what their house is structured like every time I go around it. <laughs> so, uh, and I drew pictures of the town and then I went over them with the guy that I interviewed. And uh, I just wanted to always make sure I had a sense of what details could come up. And then I don't bring up anything unless the story brings it up. Uh, and, and that's based out of my characters and the plot. And just like Allison was saying, like they, you know, one, one follows the other. Um, but I, I do find that I'm always prepared with more details <laughs> than I probably need. Um, and, and that makes me feel really secure when I go through writing. Um, sometimes I mess up. Like I definitely on my first draft was not careful about my timeline. And, um, so I had all hard. these. Yeah, and I had all these murders happening, and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. crap, <laughs> i got to go back. <laughs> I did a whole revision. I think it was like the third draft that was just making sure I got the timeline right. And then once I had it right, I could go in and say things like, well, last week or a month ago, and I knew it would actually be <laughs> correct. Um, but yeah, but that's that's the way I tend to – that's how I find my balance is I just kind of only bring up what, what becomes important to where they are. Oh, they're at the mall, and oh, they need to call a car, and okay, then I got to sort through how that works and – uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't have everything planned out. And there were definitely some things that then like an agent or an editor asked, well, you know, what about this? And like, are you sure you want the doorbell to go off then? And then I get to think about it and really make sure I've got it right or tweak it. <laughs> and then I, and then you do another level of world building. Every level feels really fun to me. I, I love the world building part so much. That's cool. I suck at world building. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I'm bad at describing like um like you said before about when we were talking about poetry. I'm really bad at being like this is what the character looks like. This is what the house looks like. And people are like you just have a bunch of talking heads. I'm like yeah. Well, maybe that's the story, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's the format of the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just talking. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one some of these things. <laughs> so, the other question which I you know, I kind of I didn't really think about this when I was reading your books, but I just read one called Ways the World Could End by Kim Hooper for Booklist and I definitely felt the anxiety when I was reading that. So, her question is 
have you found a way as a writer to not just get super bummed out while diving into the world of disasters when we live amid so many? Yeah, I mean, I think I dealt with this one by picking a disaster that's very unlikely. <laughs> there's, there's very little chance that the <laughs> trees and plants will turn on us and figure out how to release an amount of to toxic pollen that, or it's not even that it's toxic, it's just so much of it that then it becomes toxic and then we're all, we're all screwed. <laughs> Um, and that, but that really saved me because I, I, otherwise I think I would have been really upset. Um, and I, I could be a little playful with it and I could go into the magical side of it because of that. So that, that's how I'm excited to hear Allison talk about how she dealt with it because uh, that's, that's a very different realm. Um, but yeah, but that's how I dealt with it. I just had a little bit of a step off and a, and a little bit into the world of the magical. And then I, I feel a little bit at ease and I can, I can really make it quite terrible and quite scary if I want, cause uh, we're all right. We're not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, that I is think true. Kind of on a similar note, or like kind of jumping off from that, I think I dealt with it by escaping into a disaster of my own making. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, the disasters in my book, I suppose, are kind of more realistic in a way because it's a big flood. And then there's some other sort of like smaller personal climate change disasters that characters have been through, like tornadoes or wildfires, you know, which is kind of what we're dealing with now, you know, not just climate change, but climate chaos. Everything is more extreme. But that wasn't what I was going through personally at the time. You know, it, I was a single mom. I had been laid off from my job. And this was a way for me to escape into a different world. And the world was stressful and intense, but it was different. And so it was it was a break from life, you know, um, even though it is extreme and there is climate disaster, there's also a lot of love in the book. There's community, yeah. there's found family. And that was something that really kept, kept me going too, is that I fell in love with the community in my book, this community <laughs> in a junkyard. I really fell in love with the characters. I love ensemble pieces and this group just, you know, really helped me feel better about my life. And I thought about them all the time. And, you know, if you write, thinking about the world of your book can can keep you going when the real world is letting you down. You just kind of think about this world. And I really miss them when they were gone because I think it was an escape for me and a way of kind of building family and building hope. I love that. And when I was listening to the audiobook every time a new chapter would start because I, you know, didn't have the actual book. So I was just listening and it would be a new point of view. I'd be like, Ooh, I get to hear this person. So I really liked that. that there were so many points of view. I didn't find it confusing at all. You know, oh, sometimes you. I hear from readers, <laughs> not that I mean your book was confusing, but I hear from readers. I don't want yeah. something with a lot of points of view, but I love it. It was not something I set out to do. I really thought it was just going to be Coral's story, the main woman. And she starts the book and she does have more chapters than anybody else. But pretty soon I realized something's not right. And, you know, this is really the story of a community. And I realized I need to hear from a lot of people in the community. Her father, her lover, her would-be lover, even the bad guy in the book. He has a couple chapters, you know. Um, and I, I realized that I really had to had to think about all of them, which is very confusing as a, as a writer. And I'm not sure I would do it again. <laughs> it's a lot to take on. I liked it. It was cool. 
yeah, I wanted to ask the question, how, you know, what's your process like? I want to know, you know, how we talked a little bit about the different parts of it, but how do you just go, okay, I'm going to write a book now. What do I do? Well, I, I think, like I said, every writer is different, first of all, which I think is really important to stress because unfortunately I wasn't taught that way. You know, I was taught as a young writer, it's this way, you have to write this way. And it's just not true. You don't have to have a certain job. You know, there are many different kinds of writers. Um, what I found works for me is if I have an idea that I can't stop thinking about, that I've dreamed about, that won't leave me alone, and it's time to write this idea, I try to write first thing in the morning and I try to write a fast draft. I don't follow National Novel Writing Month or anything, but kind of that kind of idea, you know, to just get it out there. That's the hard part for me is to get to a complete draft. So I have a really messy stream of consciousness first draft. I don't really outline books. I kind of have a vague idea. And then, of course, the more I write, the more I think about what's going to happen. And I know the end by about the middle. But I don't have a straight outline because I tried that once and I never finished that book. It was a horrible mess. Mm. I am the kind of writer that I need to be surprised. You know, I need to just kind of go with it and see what happens. And of course, that means I have a hot mess of a first draft. But I actually love that because I love editing and I love doing that research and going in there and kind of like carving the book out of this hot mess of marble that I have, you know, really finding the shape of the book um, is a process of, of revision for me. So that's how I was able to make it work. But, you know, like I said, every writer is different and every book is different, too. You know, every book kind of teaches you how to write it, I think. For mine, it changes every time, um, sometimes because I, I make a change, um, but sometimes it's for, for my first book, I didn't, I'd never written a novel before and I didn't really believe that I could. So I was piecing it together when my son was in a swim lesson or when he was at school or when he, the, the YMCA had, uh, they, if you had a membership, they'd watch him for two hours for free. So he did that often. <laughs> Um, and I would write bits on my phone. I would write bits on my laptop. If, if I could squeeze it in, I would. Um, but by the time I wrote Clean Air, he was in a full day school program. So I really suddenly had time. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? Um, I was really shocked at um, what that looked like. Uh, and I, I, I made more of an effort. I, made, I wrote at cafes a lot more. Uh, with my first book, I was really scared to like write around anyone. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, th I guess I thought like every, anything could break it. It felt so fragile that I, I didn't know what I was doing, that like anything could mess me up. So I was like, no, no, I can't. Um, and I really loved, I wrote at this uh, cafe called Green Engine that has a plant wall, which was especially fun while you're writing clean air is to like be next to a wall of plants <laughs> that in your book could kill you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, for, but for my next book, I like, I wouldn't even sit down to write unless I knew I had enough time to write a whole chapter. So like every book has had slightly different, um, constraints that I either give myself or life has given me. <laughs> and I kind of figured out from there. Um, I also don't plan at all. I, uh, my, the, my most recent thing that I drafted, I tried to plan, because I thought I was worried I didn't have enough ideas to get me through a book. And then I, when I wrote it, I didn't stick to it at all. And I was like, well, why did I do that? <laughs> 
Um, so it's, uh, my, yeah, so my process is ever changing. I, I really enjoy it, but I do once I'm into an, I, I'm not like Alice where I have lots of ideas. I'm like, uh, I'm, I have no ideas for like years. And then I get an idea. And I'm like, I have to write this book right now. <laughs> um, so then once I have it and it happens and it feels like that magic, then I really want to be in it every single day. Um, for clean air, I, the world came to me before the character. So I had actually had to start with all these letters. I wrote 40 pages of letters from Isabel to her daughter, just trying to figure out who she was. Cause I knew she would be my main attraction to going to the book every day. Cause I'm usually finding that like, my goal is like, I, I want my character to be, um, usually a woman, a mother. I want to, I, she's usually in a bad spot and I want to give her better things and I keep trying to give her good things and then see what she does with them. And I, I also want to write about what it means to be a good mother and what that can look like and how to, uh, like how, how that means you react in the face of the more treacherous things like <laughs> in, in these books, very treacherous. <laughs> um, but but I, I just really like examining all the positions that women get into and how different it looks than books that I'm used to. I, I don't feel like often my women just want something and then go for it and then you have to overcome things like they, um, which is how I was taught. Like I bring it up like that because I was taught like, oh, that's how you understand how to craft your story. And my women are more like they just keep getting stuck and then, and because uh, that's how I always feel like my life is, is I'm not really deciding things that I want. And I'm not really going after anything. I just get myself into these positions where I feel like I have zero mobility, <laughs> it not, not just upward, but any. Uh, and then you have to figure it out from there so that you don't feel horrible all of the time. Uh, not to make it sound totally depressing, <laughs> but that is like my main concern, I think. And then plot being a, a mom onto that. And like, so yeah. like, as you deal with with your own emotional turmoil <laughs> being a mom and what that looks like. That's so relatable. I can, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> I don't, did either of you read the school for good mothers by Jessamyn Chan? I haven't yet. That's on my list of books. I want to though. It is. It's so good, but it's so heartbreaking and mm -hmm. stuff that wouldn't really happen in real life but maybe it could, you know, mm. and I really, that's what, what you said reminded me of just like, we're trying to do all of these things and yet here's motherhood. Here's this thing that we have to deal with and how emotional it is. Um, like you said earlier, this is the person that's relying on you. And in that book, it's like what happens when a person can't rely on you. So Definitely recommend that one for those who liked both of your books. And I think we're about coming close to the end. So I just wanted to ask, what are your favorite writing resources? We always ask this every podcast. So we, you know, our listeners just like to hear what can help them be a better writer. I think the best way to be a better writer is just by reading. I mean, I, I went to school for writing um grad school for writing and i don't know if i i mean i 
I, I'm really grateful for the friends I made and the, the way I grew as a person in those years, but I'm not sure I'd do that again. And it's certainly not necessary. Um, I think the, the only thing you really need to study is the world. You know, you need to be a student always and you need to pay attention always. Um, but I definitely, I, I never studied fiction. I studied poetry and nonfiction, but I never get to study fiction. But books were my teacher. You know, and just loving books and, and loving different kinds of books, too. Um, my son really likes graphic novels, so I read a lot of graphic novels with him. I'm really fond of novels myself. I have a background as a poet, you know, and I'm a journalist in my day job. So just being exposed to different kinds of writing, I think, is the best thing you can do for yourself. And, and then, of course, write. Um, but also, you know, not forgetting to have time to live, too. You need to experience yeah things to write about them and you need to have a life in order to escape from it, I guess, in writing. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Sarah? I I loved going to readings. It was my favorite thing to do. And now there are so many virtual ones that you just hop on YouTube and watch them. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little less fun than sneak. I would sneak on to uh, Princeton's campus and go to their readings as well as the ones at my readings at the state school down the street. Oh, um, and then that. they would be like, Oh, now we're going to have the students do a Q and a in like a small classroom over there. And I just go in cause they didn't know me or anybody. <laughs> so like, awesome. yeah, I, I, I got, I got into a lot of fun things. Um, and I, but even at, there were private high schools around that would have money to bring in. Like I got to see Charles Simic or Simich, I don't know how to say his last name, at uh, at, at, the, at just a, a high school that I was having him read. I just went onto their campus. Like if I saw a sign up, I was like, all right, I'm going. Um, so <laughs> um, that's one of my favorite things to do. And then reading interviews with authors, I really love to do, especially when you find someone who thinks like you do and makes you feel less alone about how you approach writing because we all often get taught that writing is all these specific things that it's really not. Um, so like, I remember when I stumbled onto George Saunders uh, interview and he was saying oh, everything yeah. yeah, about how he writes fiction and it reminded me of how I write poetry. And I was like, Oh, and I ended up just reading everything that he had published. <laughs> um and but it happens all the time and i really love and paris review has so many like big giant wonderful interviews on their website again like the internet is just like ridiculous <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um and but yeah so those were my biggest ones and, and now i'm just yeah i love to read i love to do interviews myself now um i'm not everybody always asks me if i will review things and i'm like i don't do that but i will interview mm. you <laughs> Because uh, I love interviews and I've always loved interviews. My mom always is like, You're, you should work for NPR. It's like, no, it's not going to. Or like, you tell, you write them. You write Terry Gross that. Don't tell me that I'm going to go do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So I guess we're about to wrap up. So why don't we talk about where our listeners can find you? And if you feel like talking about it, what might be next for you? You want to start with Sarah? Okay, so I'm at sarahblakeauthor.com or at Blake Sarah for Twitter or at Sarah Blake Author for Instagram. And that is the extent of my social media. <laughs> and um, what's up next, I hope is this book, this very bizarre book I have written about a hotel that 
is uh, it specializes in making transformative experiences for its guests through whatever means necessary. Um, so it's kind of like the game meets Meow Wolf <laughs> is how I describe it. So like weird art experience meets uh, tricking you into having a transformative experience, except you're not tricked mm. in this. <laughs> I'm going to need that book as soon as possible. I was going to say, I need, I love books set in hotels. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm at just my name.com. Allison Stein. It's spelled a L I S O N S T I N E both ways. Weird. <laughs> and at Allison Stein at Twitter and on Instagram, I'm Allie Stein writes, like with a pen, writes. Um, you can find me those places. I haven't done TikTok yet, despite my child's insistence that I have to do it. I have not. Um, and what's next for me is uh, I hopefully should be able to announce it soon, but I'm writing, I'm going to have a new novel come out um, that is about someone who's more like me than I've written about before. And that's someone who is partially deaf as I am. I decided it was time to have a main character like me, which is not something I was able to find when I was younger. And, uh, she's also dealing with a climate emergency, a climate disaster. So, um, yeah, it's coming soon. Oh, I'm excited. So I'm so happy for to hear from both of you and what's coming. And thank you so much for being here. And listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks oh, you're for welcome. Me. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook or at writingblock.com. Okay. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.